Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11 o'clock a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is Ash Wednesday, the 8th of April, 2020. Welcome to episode 230 of Bitcoin and... Ethereum archive nodes now take up four terabytes of space. <laughs> Ethereum can be run on just full nodes, but for those who want an archive node, mm-hmm, that's actually the full node, they're getting even bigger. This is Daniel Phillips writing for decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Archive nodes running the Ethereum blockchain have now climbed to over four terabytes in size, nearly doubling in a single year. Keep that in mind, people. This value represents the total amount of data a user would need to download if they intend to run an archive node. A special type of full node (laughs) that is running an archive mode. These archive nodes store a complete uh, snapshot of the Ethereum blockchain, including all of the transaction records that have ever happened. Unlike typical full nodes, which simply record a ledger of verified transactions, sorry, not a full node, stop calling it that, archive nodes are not necessarily needed, yes they are, since full nodes have a copy of all transactions, but they are useful for certain tasks, such as finding out how the balance of the Ethereum address, or how the balance of an Ethereum address at a point in time. Okay, that wasn't my fault, that's just a bum sentence, sorry guys. The two most popular ways of running Ethereum are Parity and Geth. <clears throat> the Parity chain now weighs 4,016 gigabytes, while Geth's is uh, 3,949 gigabytes. The size of both the Parity and G- uh, Geth archives have increased by around 13% since the start of 2020 at a moment when there was a large increase in Ethereum transactions. At this rate, Ethereum archive nodes are on track to hit 5 terabytes by the end of 2020. <laughs> Jesus. In comparison, the Bitcoin blockchain currently weighs just 271 gigabytes. That's 0.27 terabytes, just if you're keeping track here. Despite being around for half a decade longer than Ethereum, Bitcoin's blockchain stays smaller because it has a stricter limit on the number of transactions that can happen per block, and it is typically used for standard payments rather than more complicated tasks like smart contracts. According to ETH nodes, around 76% of Ethereum's 5,942 nodes are currently running Geth, whereas 21% are on parity. Less than 3% of nodes run alternative clients like Nethermind or Open Ethereum. However, <clears throat> of these almost 6,000 nodes in operation, only a small fraction operate in archive mode and most instead operate as a simple full node with pruning enable to increase sync times. <clears throat> yeah, full nodes only need to sync around 308 gigabytes of data to get up to speed with the current state of the Ethereum blockchain, while a warp node 
only needs to download a snapshot of 30,000 blocks to get up to sync. Part of the reason archive nodes are less common is due to the technical requirements of running one. After all, not everybody has four terabytes of free space lying around to host a copy of the entire shit chain. It's also time consuming and difficult. It took Eric Wall, CIO of Arcane Assets, 35 days to sync an Ethereum full node from scratch, and that's only 200 gigabytes or 5% of an archive node. Yeah, I remember that whole thing. So a solution to Ethereum's state bloat problem is needed now more than ever. It looks like we're gonna need a bigger bloat. Or you could just burn the whole thing down, forget about it, and go with, you know, Bitcoin. Just saying, is, is it that is it that hard? Honestly, man. Now, uh, start, let's get into this one. This is another one from decrypt.co. However, Will Heisman is at the pen. He's writing this one sometime today. Uh, Amazon's Web Services adds computing power to folding at home. So any of you guys that are watching this, here you go. Amazon Web Services is now using its computing power to help folding at home find a coronavirus cure. It's already ranked third. <laughs> That's kind of scary in a way. I, it's, it's helpful, definitely, and good. But dude, that's kind of scary, man. Amazon Web Services has added a heap of compute power to Folding at Home's fight against the coronavirus. It is now the third largest contributor to the project. Folding at Home is a distributed computing project that harnesses the spare processing power of computers around the world to research remedies for disease. Its latest efforts are on working out how to create a coronavirus cure. As reported by Decrypt, over 1 million PC owners have joined the fray, donating over one exaflop of processing power to Folding at Home, creating the world's fastest supercomputer. Now, with the addition of AWS, the supercomputer just got that much more powerful. Quote, a mysterious team called AWS Folds is using a massive amount of AWS spot capacity, wrote a Twitter user. In the few weeks since AWS joined, it managed to climb up the ranks in almost no time at all. While it started ramping up its processing power on April the 27th, it is already ranked 20th in all-time contribution. And remember, this thing's been around for like 15 years. Okay? That's, again, AWS has a scary amount of compute power, guys. Just keep that in the back of your mind all the time, please. But with its massive resources... Those using their home computers are starting to feel irrelevant. Yep, you know what, guys? Don't. Just don't. Quote, I know every WU count, that WU is a work unit, by the way. That's the uh, folding at home and SETI parlance. A WU means a work unit, and that usually means a processor. Either it used to be CPUs, now they're mostly GPUs, but you know, whatever. I know every WU counts, but with all these big boys stepping in, I almost feel useless. Almost, wrote one contributor. Uh, <clears throat> again, guys, don't, don't, just don't, okay? Please, just don't feel worthless. You're not, okay? You're, you're, you're doing the Lord's work here. AWS is not the only big firm to take part. A consortium of tech firms are getting involved in the project. Assembled by the United States federal government, the COVID-19 High Performance Computing Consortium includes industry leaders ranging from AWS, Google Cloud, and IBM to Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, all united to provide as much processing power as humanly possible. Fighting COVID, 
19 will require extensive research in areas like bioinformatics, epidemiology, molecular modeling to understand the threat we're facing and from or and form strategies to address it. This work demands a massive amount of compute capacity. The consortium hopes that by rendering access to a bulk of resources, researchers will be better equipped to find treatments for the coronavirus. So honestly, guys, this is really, I, I find this heartwarming. I really do. But I want, I really want to drive it home. If I have to drive a stake through the center of your brain to make this clear, then I will do so. Not a single work unit in this particular project is worthless at all, okay? Every single fraction of compute power that people can bring to this project is good. Do not feel left out, okay? Just, you're not, if you're going to keep your machine on and you're not using it, you might as well just go ahead and participate in folding at home. You are not worthless. Uh, now, uh, hackers who are worthless uh, exploits a flaw in decentralized Bitcoin exchange BISC to steal $250,000 US being written today by Patty Baker for Coindesk.com. Patty says, decentralized exchange BISC rang the alarm bells last night after a hacker exploited a significant software flaw to steal more than a quarter million dollars worth of cryptocurrencies from users. Uh, that's This one's kind of concerning, y'all. BISC, which allows users to exchange crypto anonymously, abruptly disabled trading late Tuesday night after it uncovered a critical security vulnerability. At the time, the exchange did not release any information regarding the nature of the flaw or whether user funds were SAFU. Uh, they spell it safe, but you know they spelled it wrong. But 18 hours after it halted trading, BISC said it took the unprecedented step after finding an attacker was exploiting a flaw in software to steal cryptocurrencies from other users. Quote, about 24 hours ago, we discovered that an attacker was able to exploit a flaw in the BISC trade protocol, targeting individual trades in order to steal trading capital. We are aware of approximately 3 BTC and 4,000 XMR stolen from seven different victims. This is the situation as we know it so far, Biss said in a statement to Coindesk. The value of the crypto stolen was roughly $22,000 worth of Bitcoin and $230,000 worth of Monero or XMR, according to Coindesk data. To carry out the thefts, the attacker was able to set other users' default fallback address, the destination to which crypto is sent if a trade fails, to their own. Posing as a seller, they would start a trade with a buyer and simply wait for the time limit to run out. Rather than going to the legitimate owner, the digital assets arrived with the attacker along with the buyer's payment and security deposit as well. The flaw in question came as part of a recent update to the trading protocol, which was designed to improve decentralization and remove trusted third parties from the platform. Yikes, that's scary, man. BISC managed to fix the flaw by 12 o'clock UTC on Wednesday and told Coindesk just before publication that trading had just resumed again. BISC released onto Testnet back in late 2018 as an exchange structured as a decentralized autonomous organization, or DAO. It works much in the same way as other DEXs, but users can trade anonymously as there are no registration or identity verification requirements. With the platform based on a distributed network, each user effectively acts as a node. Although BISC's developers has had suspended tra trading, 
The exchange's decentralized nature means users could override the suspension should they wish, in most cases, of an exchange hack. The attacker can be booted off the trading platform for good, not so with BISC. One of the DEX's associated developers told Coindesk that although the flaw was fixed, there was nothing to prevent the attacker, whose identity cannot be known, from accessing and trading on the platform again. Quote, anyone can use BISC. There is no censorship, the developer said. Just like anyone can use Bitcoin, there's no way to ban someone from Bitcoin. Do I think it's good? Hell yeah, I think it's good. I don't like the hacker, but... You take the bad with the good. Otherwise, you just flush all the good down the toilet. That's all I'm saying, man. Seriously. Now, be aware, guys. This show is going to be short, okay? There's other stuff going on. And honestly, there's really not a whole lot going on in in the Bitcoin world. I mean, not as, you know, it seems like, it seems a little slow is all I'm saying. So I'm not going to reach out and try to find, you know, just anything I can to fill up an hour. Today is not going to be an hour. Okay. Anatol Anatovici is writing for Bitcoinist.com on sometime this morning that Binance is charged with embezzling $860,000 worth of crypto funds. Jesus, you just can't stay out of trouble, can you? Crypto exchange Binance was accused of freezing an account worth around $1 million. The owner accuses the platform of embezzlement, but the company says it simply followed the requirements of the South Korean police. In November of 2018, Binance blocked an account that had over $850,000 worth of crypto funds. The owner claims that the exchange led by Zhang Zhao stole the money. Russia-based crypto news site Forklog reports citing hack control. The account owner claims that Binance froze crypto funds worth $858,999 at the time. Specifically, Binance blocked and there occurs a list of all kinds of stuff. Let's apparently, let's see, uh, like five BTCs, a lot of ETH, a lot of ETH Classic, a lot of Litecoin, IOTA, EOS, Tron, uh, Zcash, Monero, Dash, uh, Bcash, and uh, looks like a bunch of Tether too. But it, well, actually, not a whole lot. Eleven thousand or uh, one thousand one hundred and seventy Tether. So Binance required additional KYC AML verification procedures and an explanation regarding the origins of the funds. The exchange said that the account was blocked at the request of the South Korean police, though the user claims that he had not received any complaints from South Korean authorities. It all started with an Ethereum transaction. Binance turned its attention to 2,844 ETH transferred to the trading account. While the owner claims that he had explained the origins of the funds, Binance insisted upon a suspension, citing a request from the South Korean police. Binance spokesperson uh, told Forklog that a portion of the ETH transferred by the user had been stolen from a Korean project on November the 8th. Though it didn't disclose its name, Binance said it eventually transferred the amount to the South Korean police. In April of last year, Ukrainian law enforcement spoke to Binance, to which the exchange responded with the same explanation. However, the user cannot find any ruling by the South Korean police. The latter denies that they made any claims about the Binance account owner. Isn't that interesting? Also, the police stressed that they hadn't asked to freeze or transfer any crypto funds, the user says. 
He added that he sent the correspondence uh, sent the correspondence with the South Korean police to Binance, but the exchange has been unresponsive. The user concluded, quote, I have every reason to believe that Binance misappropriated my money for itself. Communication with them continues from November the 21st, 2018. It has been 18 months already. End quote. It seems that it's not the first incident with the exchange. Hack Control discovered similar cases whose damages total $3 million. The users will launch a class action lawsuit against CZ's company. Interestingly, Binance and 10 other crypto firms have just been recently accused of selling unregistered securities in the U.S. territory. <clears throat> territory. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Honestly, it doesn't look good. And if the guy can prove beyond a shadow of a hair on an ass's doubt that the South Korean police have made no such claim, then Binance would seems like they might be in a lot of trouble here. I don't know, man. It seems really odd. But uh, I'm not going to do any breaks on this one. We're going to go right into some vitals. It looks like the traditional markets are mixed. And yeah, eh, mixed. I'm going to say that. Uh, S&P 500 is up two and a quarter percent. NASDAQ is up almost 2%. The Dow Jones Industrial is up two and a half percent. The FTSE is down half a percent. Nikkei is up 2%. And everything else is down. The VIX is also down. That would be the volatility index. It is last was 42.91. That represents uh, an 8% change to the downside. Uh, bonds are eh, they're pretty much not doing a damn thing. Except for the German Bund is eking up. It's now negative 0.29. Yesterday it was negative 0.33. Oil is up 3 yeah, 3.8%. Uh, natural gas is down. Gold is up. 1689 was its last price. That's going to, yeah, that'll do it for traditionals. Let's get into something more fun, aka Bitcoin. Uh, we have a price of 7,252. Our high is going to be at GDAX, 7,296. Our low, well, that was our low. Our low is 7,252. We've had 284,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours, giving us about 12,000 transactions performed, performed per hour. Well, yeah, per hour. But, but only 7, 731,000 BTC have exchanged hands in the last 24 hours. That's about 30,500 BTC being sent around the horn per hour. Average transaction value is 2.57 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.043 BTC or right around $311 US. Block times are a bit low, nine minutes, 32 seconds. Uh, we have 0.15 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 22.3 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a 10% increase in the hash rate according to, you know, remember, this is according to bitinfocharts.com. We'll see what my node says. But uh, it looks like here the hash rate is ew, 112 exahashes per second. And the last time anybody, nobody did anything for Bitcoin was yesterday. Uh, Ethereum is at 168, Bcash at 264, BSV at 214, Litecoin at 45.9, Ethereum Classic at 5.77, Dogecoin holding it strong at 0 
With 31,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it's only beating Litecoin. Yeah, that looks about it. Now, my my nodes is reading the hash rate as 101 exahashes per second. Uh, a pretty decent mempool, 22 point, well, 22 and a half megabytes representing about 16,618 unconfirmed transactions. No mining chicanery here. All the blocks are full, or at least the last 10 blocks are full. Um, let's get into the Lightning Network. We have, no, wow, we have 943.6 BTC in the Lightning Network. That's $6.8 million in liquidity. We have 6,678 nodes representing 36,365 channels. Tor capacity is 398 BTC, and that means that the Tor capacity has risen in percentage all the way up to 42.2%. For me reading this, the time the, of the time that I've been following this, this is an all-time high for me. Uh, the number of Tor nodes is 1,953. That's going to do it for vitals. Let's get back into the snooze you can use with pro Bitcoin Jack Dorsey just became a superhero. No capes, no capes. Christina Combin is writing this sometime today for Bitcoinist.com and she says, Bitcoin advocate Jack Dorsey just won the admiration and praise of more than just his Twitter followers. Yesterday, the Square and Twitter CEO announced that he was allocating $1 billion, which is over one quarter of his wealth to fighting the global COVID-19 pandemic. Jeez, dude. Jack Dorsey has, has always had kudos in the, his space, or this space. His financial services and mobile payment firm Square allows for Bitcoin transactions. Me enabled a Bitcoin symbol on his social media platform, Twitter. And he's repeatedly spoken out as one of Bitcoin's biggest advocates. But now he's taken his superb human being status to a whole new cape-wearing level. He's donated 28% of his wealth to fund global COVID-19 relief. His tweet announcing this is right here, and it says from Jack, and this was 3 o'clock p.m. on April the 7th. He says, I'm moving $1 billion of my square equity, 28% of my wealth, to, smart, to Start Small LLC to fund global COVID-19 relief. After we disarm this pandemic, the focus will shift to girls, health, and education, and UBI. Oh, no. It will operate transparently, all flows tracked here, and then he gives a, a Google, Google Docs uh, spreadsheet. He went on to say that after the pandemic was dis... Yeah, we know that, we know that. He also provided a Google document, we know that too. Further down in his Twitter feed, he justified his reasons for focusing on girls' education and UBI. He said, quote, I believe they, I guess girls, represent the best long-term solutions to the existential problems facing the world. UBI is a great idea, needing experimentation. Girls' health and education is critical to balance. Uh, he also stated that it was important to make the process transparent so that, uh, so that so I and others can learn. He concluded by saying, quote, why now? The needs are increasingly urgent, and I want to see the impact in my lifetime. I hope this inspires others to do something similar. Life is too short, so let's do everything we can today to help people now. We need it now, bro. 
Dorsey's tweet garnered thousands of likes and comments, perhaps most notably a thank you from ex-Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang, who was a proponent of universal base income, or the UBI, of $1,000 for every American a month. He was also Bitcoin's choice, uh, sorry, he was also Bitcoin's choice with high knowledge and support of the cryptocurrency who took the debate to the highest level. He simply said, quote, thank you, Jack. This is a spectacular commitment, end quote. Binance CZ, who's in hot water, by the way, and we just read that, okay. So, also pointed out that Dorsey was a shining example for the next generation of, quote, billionaires. They should not be measured on how much they owned, but by how much they give. Unless, of course, you're stealing traders' money, CZ. Come on, dude, get a grip, bro. With all the disinformation, uncertainty, and fear gripping the world right now, it's comforting to know that there are people like Jack Dorsey in it, willing not only to step up and take action now, but to see their commitment through experimenting with new financial policies. Respect. Dude, I, I, I can't harsh the guy. I mean, a quarter of your wealth? Dude, that's yikes, man. <laughs> Not, I mean, okay, if it's a quarter of his wealth, that means he's like got four, you know, what, four and a half billion dollars. I don't think he's really hurting for cash. So I think it would be easier for someone like that to do this than uh, just your average Joe, right? So, okay, speaking of your average Joe, the average Joe that bought the shitcoin bag, the average Joe that actually thinks anything other than Bitcoin is going to be the next Bitcoin, the average Joe that just can't get enough alcohol to drown his tears because he is holding a bag of crap. Bitcoin Cash undergoes having event casting shadow on minor profitability. This was written today uh, by Coindesk.com. Wolfie Zhao at the pen says Bitcoin Cash. The blockchain that forked off Bitcoin in 2017 has just reduced its block reward by half, causing many miners to see gross margins drop to near zero. The world's fifth largest cryptocurrency network by market capitalization reached block heights 630,000 at roughly 12.20 UTC on Wednesday by design, triggering the so-called halving event that reduced the network's mining reward from 12.5 Bcash per block to 6.25. Uh, that means miners competing for block rewards on the network will see their immediate mining revenue reduced by half, resulting in no or slight returns despite investment in costly mining equipment. The mining difficulty and hash rate on Bcash has recently been on a downward trend in the run-up to the halving, dropping from around 5 exahashes per second in mid-February to 3.3 exahashes it has currently. The trend is in line with the price decline of Bcash, which dropped from 492 around mid-February to as low as 165 in mid-March, though it's since bounced back over $250 at press time. Bcash is changing hands at $268, according to Coindesk Price Index, a 2.7% jump over the last 24 hours based on data from F2 pool at BCH's current price and the network's latest hash rate, a wide range of mining equipment that was launched in 2018 and early 2019 are now generating negative daily profits. If assuming an average electricity cost of five cents per kilowatt hour, even some of the most recent models that hit the market late last year and in early 2020 are seeing gross margins 
dropped to around 10%. Only those most powerful models like MicroBT's What's Minor M30S or Bitmain's AmpMiner S19 or S17 Pro would be able to generate a margin above 30%, but the manufacturers have not yet been able to deliver these models to the market in large numbers. That said, as more unprofitable miners unplug from the Bcash network as is expected, mining difficulty will further decrease dynamically increasing the mining revenue for those who can afford to stick to the game. Furthermore, specialized mining devices, commonly known as ASIC miners, uh, ASIC, if you don't know, it stands for Application Specific Integrated Circuit. That is ASIC, Application Specific Integrated Circuit. Based on the SHA-256 algorithm, which is adopted by Bitcoin, Bcash, and BSV, are able to switch between different networks that use the same algorithm. The Bcash event foreshadows the halving schedule for the Bitcoin network in about 35 days. Bitcoin is 26 times larger than BCH in terms of market cap. The 14-day rolling compute power connected to the Bitcoin network is currently at 105 exahashes per second, which has seen a 5% uptick after having decreased by nearly 16% late last month. Meanwhile, BSV, the network that forked off of the Bitcoin Cash blockchain in late 2018, is also scheduled to go through a block reward reduction in about a day. The price of BSV has jumped by 9% to over $209 over the past 24 hours ahead of the scheduled event. Now, what to say about this? And nobody is going to like me saying this shit. There is probably not going to be a mining death spiral on either the shit coins be cash or BSV. Why? Because by all rights, these stupid pieces of shit should have been buried and flushed and burned at the stake and ripped apart and keyholed long, long, long time ago. But the amount of stupidity that exists in the world will just not let it die. And if these little things will not go through a mining death spiral, I guarantee you the Bitcoin ain't going to go through a mining death spiral. Uh, no. However, as much as we all wish that these two things would go through a mining death spiral, honestly, and again, you're going to throw rotten cabbages at me and tomatoes and lettuces and, you know, that kind of thing. Honestly, it probably wouldn't be good for Bitcoin if these two things died via a mining death spiral. They need to die via other means, like just people losing freaking interest in sporting Craig Wright and Roger Ver. It's that it's got to be it's got to be a death not through technology, but through people coming to their freaking senses. That's how these things have to die. If they die through a technological thing like mining death spiral or somehow or another, you know, one or both of these chains get rolled back, which I wish they would, but I can't escape the idea that if they did, it would not look good for Bitcoin. God, I hate to say it, but I just, again, I ain't going to lie to you guys. That's what I actually think. So you can stop throwing cabbages at me. Well, you're going to throw cabbages at me regardless. So whatever. <clears throat> now, how can you tell if, if a cryptocurrency is a scam? Now, this is written by uh, Sarah R Rothry, I believe is how you pronounce that. R-O-T-H-R-I-E. Rothry. 
Um, and she is writing this for cryptobriefing.com. And again, let, let me let me go ahead and just reread the, the title here now. How can you tell if a cryptocurrency is a scam? <clears throat> it's not Bitcoin. It's literally that easy, guys. But let's see what several words in the form of sentences and paragraphs has to say about this. Scams in the crypto space has been a centerpiece since the ICO boom. Not much has changed except for a more diligent community. If you've been around in the cryptocurrency space for a while, then chances are you'll have come across your fair share of crypto scams, like all of them, except for Bitcoin. Projects like BitConnect, OneCoin, and Centratech have become notorious for their role in duping unsuspecting investors into handing over money for little more than smoke and mirrors, like all of them, guys, but whatever. But how can you tell if a cryptocurrency is a legitimate project or just a scam? Well, you can't, but there are no hard and fast means for determining whether or not a project is genuine. However, there are several ways that investors can arm themselves with enough knowledge to make an informed, rational judgment. My question always is going to be, is it Bitcoin? Well, then if it's not, it's a scam or shitcoin. It depends on how you want to spell scam. But there are various types of cryptocurrency scams, so it's worth knowing what to watch out for. Exit scams. Unfortunately, exit scams are the best type, best known type of crypto scam for a reason. In the days of the ICO boom, exit scams became all too common Founders would generate massive hype about their project only to disappear once investors had handed over their funds. Often these kinds of scams take the form of Ponzi schemes using existing investors to help spread the word to more victims. Unfortunately, fraud can be more difficult to spot when a fellow enthusiast is the one marketing it. OneCoin and BitConnect both illustrate how successful this tactic can be, having raised $4 billion and $2.6 billion, respectively. However, many tactics may be used, as in the case of Centratech, when used the, which used the marketing services of Floyd Mayweather and DJ Khalid to sell its services. Both ended up setting, settling with the SEC for charges brought against them due to their role in promoting the scheme. Exchanges have also provided fertile ground for exit scammers. Last year, the CEO of IDAX disappeared with user funds, and there are still some who believe the death of Quadriga CEO Gerald Cotton was fabricated as part of an elaborate exit scam. That's what I believe. Now, here's Twitter scams. Twitter scams typically involve someone posting as an industry leader in an attempt to get people to send them cryptocurrencies. It doesn't necessarily involve someone within the crypto sector either. Paris Saint-Germain footballer Kyleen Mbappé has been targeted several times by crypto scammers using his name to promote their efforts, including having his Twitter account hacked. Dude. Phishing scams. In general, phishing scams aid aim to get people to hand over details that will give fraudsters access to their funds. In crypto, this could be private keys to your wallets or perhaps login details to your exchange accounts. God, who falls for this? Scammers will pose as official representatives of a company or project in an attempt to appear legit. Recently, phishing scams have become more elaborate. Crypto security expert Harry Denley recently tweeted a warning about the dangers of using QR code generators for Bitcoin addresses. Rather than generating a code for the address you provide, they'll create codes for the scammer's own addresses. And once funds are sent there, they cannot be recovered. So, 
Although scammers are notoriously good at creating an aura of legitimacy, there are a few lessons to be learned from previous schemes that can help you avoid the same pitfalls. <laughs> well, don't buy anything but Bitcoin. But if you just want to hand your ass to yourself, let's, let's go into some of the things you can watch out for. Who's behind it? The principles of anonymity and privacy are held dear to the cryptocurrency space, but when it comes to handing over money, it's better to know who you're dealing with. Research the company along with the founders and leadership team. Check out their LinkedIn pages and Google search them to find out if there are any reasons to be suspicious. <clears throat> well, okay, I won't say it. It can also be helpful to find out whether or not the company is registered in a credible legal environment. In some countries, company directors are required to disclose previously held directorships. Often, these disclosures may also indicate whether prior endeavors ended up in insolvency or worse. If you're being approached on social media, particularly by anyone who claims to be involved with a project or other cryptocurrency initiative, then check the profile carefully. Many founders or project leaders will link to their social media channels from the company website, so this is an easy way to cross-check if the handles match. Never, ever give out your private keys to anyone regardless of what they're promising. If someone is asking for crypto deposits in exchange for greater returns, chances are you won't ever see your funds again. The word partnerships tends to get thrown around a lot <laughs> in the cryptocurrency space. As projects attempt to piggyback on the success of better known brands, some are harmless enough such as the many projects which claim to partner with AWS or Microsoft Azure when, in fact, they are simply customers. However, in the case of Centratech and Tron, by the way, they don't say that, but Tron, Justin Sun has this tendency to do this, so scam. However, in the case of Centratech, the company was caught claiming a partnership with Visa, when the, which a company spokesperson flatly denied. In a true partnership, both parties are willing to confirm its existence. If a small project is claiming to partner with a much better known brand, then it's worth searching to see if this checks out from both sides. If there's nothing on the company website, you could also search on Twitter or other social channels to see if there's any confirmation that the partnership exists. In a similar vein, celebrity endorsements aren't any indication that a project is legit. In many cases, these kinds of announcements demand even closer examination. After the Centratech debacle, other well-known figures like Steven Seagal, are also facing charges related to questionable crypto projects. The crypto press is awash with paid press releases and sponsored posts that aren't disclosed as such. Many projects will point to these pieces as evidence of their popularity. As part of any due diligence exercise, it's worthwhile scrutinizing the type of press articles about a project to see if they're objectively written or published as part of a PR campaign. While there is nothing wrong with paid PR, an unbiased review from an independent third party offers more weight in determining whether a project is authentic. If someone is telling you that a particular investment offers guaranteed returns or that a token is, quote, going to the moon, your scam radar should immediately light up. There is simply no such thing as guaranteed returns and all investment decisions involve some degree of risk. This fact is especially true in the crypto industry. <laughs> yeah, no shit. All of these tips amount to the same broad piece of advice. Do your own research. You can't scam proof yourself completely, but you can make it more difficult for the scammers to get their hands on your money. So there you go, guys. That's how you avoid scams. Also, how to avoid scams. Just buy Bitcoin. 
But even there, okay, even there, you can get scammed. Not because it's Bitcoin. You need to make sure that the person who's offering you that Bitcoin is actually selling you real Bitcoin and not that knockoff shit, okay? BTC, BTC. If it's not BTC, it ain't Bitcoin. Don't buy it. It's a scam. Also, if they actually are offering BTC, but they're doing it in the way like uh, like they were talking about with a, you send me one BTC and I'll send you back five, you're losing one BTC, okay? So honestly, all of this shit really is good advice, except what they didn't spell out clearly was that if you're buying anything other than BTC, it is automatically a scam automatically, whether the people behind the project purposely want to scam you or not, it does not matter. Okay. So that's my advice. And, uh, I don't have, I literally, I have no joke for you guys today. Um, I, the train wreck honestly is kind of the whole B cash having and them like I, it took like over an hour to find the next block. It was, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, and I got to get ready for Easter, guys, because Easter is this Sunday, right? So, um, and because there's no, as far as, as my church is concerned, I haven't heard that we're having church services. I'm pretty sure that our bishop decided that, you know what? God's not going to get mad if you don't go to church, okay? And honestly, that's sort of the way that I think about it, too. God's not going to get mad if you skip church this Sunday because you don't want to, oh, I don't know, get sick. Okay? Just just saying. But lots of yard work to do because, you know, if I can't take the kids to church, then they at least deserve a really pretty backyard to go on their Easter egg hunt. And that's so that's what I want to do. And that's what I was doing this morning. I'm actually kind of covered with grass and dirt right now because I came in right from, you know, after mowing half the lawn. So. There you go. Uh, I hope that your, the rest of your Holy Week, if you are, you know, if you're uh, celebrating such things, I hope it goes really well. I am praying for all of you guys to not get sick. Uh, stay indoors. And if you're starting, again, like I said, if you're starting to get anxious about this shit, then learn something. Spend your time trying to learn something that you don't already know how to do or learn more about something that you're absolutely in love with. If you've always thought about, maybe I should learn how to cook. Start looking for all the stuff that you haven't like, you know, like, I don't know, like bags of flour that have been like, you know, languishing in your pantry for a long time, you know, learn, learn, you know, learn how to bake. If you already know how to cook, because cooking and baking are different, by the way. Baking is more like chemistry, okay? There's no way, there's no way that, you know, if I put in twice as much flour as the recipe calls for, I'm screwed. If I put in twice as much, I don't know, tomato paste as, or, or, or tomato sauce or something like that as a spaghetti recipe calls for, guess what? It's probably still going to be delicious. Not so with baking. So if you want to learn how, if you're like interested in, in cooking and you don't know how to bake very well, man, this is the time to learn how to do it, isn't it? Anyway, with all that said, have a happy Holy Week and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and 
and I am your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.